How now down cow? Audio check. How now down cow? I wonder if she has milk fever. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Cody Krillman Podcast, episode 14. It is a cold one out there today. Uh, We're having a little bit of a polar vortex, uh, one might call it. So this episode is going to be all about what to do when it gets cold out with your cows. So just like a little update on the podcast and stuff. So I'm recording this in my living room. I'm going to put a picture of this on my Instagram so you guys can see my setup. I have stopped video recording these because it kind of hampers like just the production because it's just an extra step of studio one day. You guys will see how janky this setup is tonight. And uh, I have been posting these podcasts in video form in uh, YouTube and Facebook. Just if anybody prefers to listen to the things there. Um, yeah, a few people have commented that they liked it better when I recorded, but I, I kind of like this. You'll see, you'll see why it's a super janky setup. I was just, um, it's the evening and I was just upstairs. Well, my, my daughter, she'd woke up, so I was kind of soothing her to sleep. But before that, um, before Diana went to bed, I was, um, feeling her belly and I can feel the new baby kicking. So Diana is 19 weeks and the little baby's rolling and kicking and yeah, I'm super excited to have a new baby that will never go to sleep just like all of my other children. Okay. It's not ranting. I love you children. If you're ever listening to this in the future, you just were super bad sleepers and you got really bad genetics from your mom and your dad. But um, yeah, that's my bad. No, you're bad. Okay, we're going to talk all about wintertime, cold stress, hypothermia, kind of the gambit of things that cattle producers should be thinking about when it comes to this kind of cold weather. Um, I'm not really good at converting temperatures, you guys, so bear with me. I am Canadian. Um, I think for the most part, farmers and ranchers are pretty good at converting from Celsius to Fahrenheit. They they seem to have a general understanding of conversions a, a lot better than just the general population, probably because they're smarter than the general pop- population. But uh, most of this will be in the Celsius range because I don't know how to do the Fahrenheit's. And... Yeah, I'll convert the numbers when I know how, but uh, you'll have to bear with me. So we'll go through kind of cold stress in cows and mama cows, the cow herd, and then we'll uh, we'll move into hypothermia in calves. So in Canada this morning when I woke up, Emerson, my son, his school bus was canceled and it was minus 28 Celsius. But then I was talking to a client in northern Alberta because we, we have clients that range all across western Canada. And this one's in northern Alberta, about a six-hour drive north. He said it was minus 42 Celsius. 
And I think that that actually equals pretty close to minus 40 Fahrenheit. So it is nasty out there. And cows certainly need a little extra love and attention when it gets that cold, when the mercury dips below. So a typical beef cow, you know, we're talking about a, a, a boss Taurus, um, you know, like a typical like Hereford or Semital or an Angus. Its critical lower temperature is about minus 20 Celsius. And that assumes like a calm conditions, uh, not, not windy out, and that the, the cow has a, a dry winter coat. So this threshold certainly can be higher if they have a summer coat. Like let's say for whatever reason it got to minus uh, 5 degrees Celsius in the middle of July, which I've seen before. I've seen snow in every single month up here in Canada. Uh, then, then, they're, then their lower um, kind of critical threshold temperature is going to be a lot higher. But this, this implies they have a nice thick winter coat and that it's dry. And that is going to change if they are wet or if it's windy out. It really can can change things. So so if it's dry, a regular winter coat, and uh, and it's not windy, the the lower threshold for a cow where you don't have to give any sort of extra care or attention is minus twenty Celsius. They can thermoregulate without any sort of uh, additional management changes down to minus twenty Celsius. But if uh, even if we had, say, an increase of wind of 20 kilometers per hour, um, the cow's lower critical temperature would be more around like 6 degrees Celsius. So wind can certainly change that pretty quick. So the kind of first thing when we think about when we're talking about body condition uh, and energy requirements during during the cold temperature is is we're thinking about kind of averages first off right so in canada we have a one through five body condition score rating um in the u.s it's a nine point scale so so body condition score those less than three um you know those would certainly also have um, a greater effect on energy requirements just the the less fat that they have on their body uh, the the quicker and the more energy that they're going to need when we're doing supplemental feeding during cold weather cows that are fat so in the four and five range they are going to need less uh, supplemental energy requirements um, based off of their metabolic rate and on their insulative capacity so we we don't have to provide as much um, additional stuff they just have a, a better ability to withstand that that colder weather the other thing during this time of year to also take into consideration is these cows are also, depending on your calving season, uh, starting to lactate. So when they are lactating, they already require 25 to 30% more energy than when they're in their third trimester Um of their gestation. So just kind of based off of like cold weather coinciding with um, lactation, peak lactation for some of the clients that are calving in these colder weather um, seasons, 
uh, that's something that you have to consider that already these cows are, are needing that, that additional, uh, 25 to 30% more energy. So when you're lactating and it's really cold out, those cows would need 40 to 60% more energy, uh, than would be required when it's, when it's less cold and when they're just pregnant and not lactating. So it just requires a massive, a massive amount of energy for them to produce milk and keep up with the, that kind of lower, those lower temperatures. When it gets cold, another consideration that we also have to think about is, is in terms of their, their metabolic rates. Um, as it as it gets colder, they they do increase their metabolic rates, uh, and that helps with their heat production, um, and that's also going to increase their daily feed intake. But the other thing that you have to remember is is as their metabolic rate increases and their daily feed intake increases, uh, their efficiency, their overall feed efficiency, actually decreases because as they're eating more, the feed stuff, the food is spending less time in their rumen and in their reticulum and it has a higher uh, transport rate out of their out of their big fermentation vat. So they're actually getting less out of their feed. So they're eating more feed. They have an increased metabolic rate, but they're actually less efficient when it's cold. So that also makes us think that we have to make sure that we're providing uh, highly digestible or higher di- digestibility feeds when it's cold out. So some of the time we can get away with least cause feeding and we can be feeding straw, pea straw, canola straw, stuff like that. But when it gets cold, that that digestibility decreases because of that increase in intake and transit time. And we have to provide higher quality forage stuffs when we're seeing the, that kind of cold weather come through. So as a general rule of thumb... When it gets cold, um, there, there's a lot of different charts out there on the internets, but my kind of favorite is looking at the temperature that it is at noon on a specific day. So you look at the temperature at noon, and for every 10 degrees Celsius below minus 20, which is their lower critical temperature, a beef cow needs about three to four um, megacalories of digestible energy more. So in other words, they probably need uh, about two pounds of barley. If you were looking at uh, average barley grains containing about 1.5 megacalories of digestible energy per pound, uh, two pounds of barley um, would would meet that additional requirement. So if it's minus 30, you should probably be adding two pounds of barley uh, to that ration. Um, that implies that it's not windy out and that's just the, the regular temperature. Uh, we also have to increase uh, that energy requirements if you have wind speed increases that are greater of 5 to 10 kilometers per hour, then you do have to step that energy level up even more. Feeding grain to cows is not necessarily straightforward, so if, uh, if a 
cow is going to be getting, you know, a mama cow is going to be getting over 10 pounds of grain per day. Uh, it should probably be split into two feedings uh, just to prevent acidosis. So it's usually best in those circumstances to, to never really feed more than five pounds of grain at a time. And also be sure that if this is the first time that you are going to be feeding grain to your cows, uh, that there needs to be an acclimation period um, anywhere between five and ten days is appropriate uh, just so that they are used to that as well. The other thing to also consider during that cold weather um, is just kind of the management things that you can do uh, besides adding that extra energy. So the extra energy is in, You've ensured, you know, all through the summertime and during the winter feeding period that they've maintained adequate body condition scores. Uh, so, so this is just kind of like the checklist for going through and making sure that that we're kind of checking off everything when it comes to the rest of the management. So certainly monitoring uh, weather conditions and acting according, accordingly as as things are coming up. Farmers and ranchers are like the world experts at monitoring weather conditions. So I don't think that should be a problem, but just kind of covering our bases here, make sure you know uh, what to expect for the week and you're acting accordingly when you're feeding your cows. Uh, ensuring that there's enough shelter from the wind, always important, uh, whether that's natural shelters or man-made shelters, uh, having the ability to to have some sort of shelter from the wind can really help with those cows uh, maintaining their their adequate body temperatures uh, a, a really good thing to to have um, access to uh, providing bedding that is clean and dry uh, can be a variety of different things i see all types of different beddings across my practice uh, you know most common would be would be barley straw uh, wheat straw those types of things we want to make sure that it is uh, it is dry it is thick and that allows um, that allows that cow to lose depending on the study you look at would lose almost 25% less energy compared to if they were if they were laying in the snow. So there is a significant energy savings there, which should translate to a decrease in feed costs um, by providing that, that adequate bedding pack. Uh, there's an interesting concept around during cold weather on the time of day that you should be feeding your cows. So feeding later in the day or in the evening can actually help with the, those cows uh, staying warm throughout the, the coldest hours. Uh, so peak fermentation occurs at six to eight hours after a cow eats. So they eat, the, the foodstuff starts uh, being fermented in the rumen, and that peak fermentation happens at that six to eight hours. So if we feed late in the afternoon or early in the evening, uh, we can provide additional warmth to those cows from that fermentation activity uh, into the early morning. So then that peak would happen between 4 and 6 a.m. when the temperature is the coldest. So that's, a, that's an interesting thing. Um, certainly it doesn't work for everybody, but uh, it, it is a strategy that you can do to, to help reduce some of those some of those feed costs as well. Providing adequate water when it's cold is very, very important. Uh, limiting water uh, 
can certainly have uh, negative effects on uh, digestibility of feedstuff. Uh, cows are eating free snow. They're going to have increased energy requirements as well. So really providing free water to those cows is, is, is beneficial um, twice fold. Um, I'm really not a big fan of snow feeding. Uh, certainly there's some circumstances when it has to happen, but uh, especially in, in this area, it's just too unpredictable with, with some of the weather that we get. Uh, and it is a, a tricky strategy, but um, yeah, you, you have to be careful with it. Uh, sorting off thinner cows uh, from the rest of the herd um, so can certainly help. So you can provide a different food stuff. You can provide different bedding. You can provide more shelter, and you can provide just yeah a higher quality, more balanced ration for those thinner cows to help them during that cold weather. So hopefully that's already a strategy that some of you are using, um, and and I think that's kind of the best usage of your feeding inventory. Uh, is to, to feed those thinner cows separately. So that's kind of the, my strategies when it comes to feeding off cows when it is getting really, really cold out. So hopefully that helps some of you guys. Now we're going to talk a little bit about hypothermia in calves. Um, I wouldn't say, maybe I would say that I'm, I'm kind of passionate about hypothermia in calves. Um, I certainly remember growing up, we, we calved out in the wintertime and there was a many of evenings spent with the hairdryer in the house, drying off baby calves or calves in the bathtub, drying them off and bottle feeding them. And, uh, it, it's always a challenge. So when I became a veterinarian, I, I started thinking, I guess, more critically about hypothermia and kind of put together some parameters and metrics when it comes to feeding uh, and warming these calves up um, when, when we're dealing with them. So first off, uh, how do I define uh, a true hypothermia? So uh, the thermometer is your best friend when we're determining whether or not a calf is truly cold or not. And the, the temperature that I like to use is 35 degrees Celsius. So uh, the normal calf uh, should be around that 37 degrees Celsius range. And um, if, if we have an internal temperature, a rectal temperature of 35 or lower, that's where I put a calf in a true hypothermic state. And um, we have to provide some, some kind of extra measures in order for us to warm up that core body temperature. The number one go-to for me when calves have a body temperature less than 35 degrees Celsius is warm water immersion. I think that calves have a really, really difficult time getting back to normal thermia, so so normal body temperature, uh, just using um, forced air like a hot box or a um, hair dryer. It is really, really tricky that those are good at drying calves off and it's good at increasing skin temperature, but throwing a, a calf with a, a body temperature of 33 degrees Celsius into a hot box is probably not going to heat up that core temperature quick enough. And we're potentially at risk for multiple organ failure when we have a lack of perfusion from, from that cold, uh, cold body. The, the, the calf goes into shock and then there's decreased oxygenation to the organs and then we go into multiple organ failure. So I like to um, do warm water immersion 
to get those little baby calves up and I like to monitor their rectal temperature as we're warming them up uh, so we stop that that warming process at an appropriate time and we don't overheat them because that certainly can happen as well. So let's say you have a baby calf and um, you pull them out of a, an ice block, a snow drift, and you take a rectal, rectal temperature and he is 32 degrees Celsius. So you have to implement a warming strategy. So what should you do? So I like to, to put them in a in a warm water bath, whether that is a physical bathtub, a giant uh, wash sink. Um, one of the best sort of like tubs that I've found is actually those those mineral lick tubs, uh, like the the big kind of protein or urea supplementation tubs, the molasses lick tubs. Those are perfect calf sizes uh, to be able to do a warm water immersion technique. So what we do is we we fill that tub up uh, with water to the temperature that I say is is basically bath temperature, the, the temperature that you would take a bath in. Uh, so not scalding hot, but a, a warm bath is, is perfect temperature. Put that calf in and... In most cases, you probably have to readjust the temperature one time. So as that water cools off, as the bath water temperature cools off, you usually have to top it up and, and reheat it back to, to normal bath uh, temperature. And as you're doing that, um, take that, you're, you're holding that calf's head up so so he can breathe. So it is labor intensive. Um, if you can't just let the calf who's hypothermic just kind of free float in there, he certainly will drown or she, <laughs> and, um, and we're taking temperatures uh, every five to 10 minutes um, watching that, that rectal temperature elevate. So once we hit the 37 degree uh, Celsius mark, that's when then we'll stop. I'm happy with that. Uh, most cases with warm water immersion, it's going to take uh, around 20 to 30 minutes, which is relatively quickly in comparison to if you tried to take a calf at the same rectal uh, body temperature and warm them up with a forced air strategy like hot box or hair dryer. So once we get that calf up to body temperature and we pull them out and we want to dry them, uh, they can they can certainly lose a lot of heat uh, just from that drying off process. So at that point, then it would be appropriate to put them in a hot box uh, to maintain that body temperature. And we want to provide supplemental calories because those little babies only have so much supplemental fat, uh, you know, that brown fat that they burn when they're trying to stay warm. Uh, they've probably burnt through most of their stores most of their glycogen storage so we need to provide supplemental energy and the best supplemental energy to provide is colostrum um, super high energy super high fat so that is exactly what those babies need so then we put uh, colostrum in their bellies and get some energy going get some fat going uh, get some some um metabolic heat generation and those baby calves should be able to maintain a, a normal body temperature so i feel like i've had great success with the warm water immersion techniques and consulting with my clients uh, in comparison to the hot box um, certainly there's always cases where your calves are, are found too late. Um, we can usually get those calves back to normal thermia, but then at times they'll, they'll start to drop body temperature again and you'd have to reheat and rewarm them. Uh, at that point, if those calves 
continually start dropping body temperature and go back to a hypothermic state even after being rewarmed. Uh, there's usually something else going on like multiple organ failure or in some cases like a weak, weak calf syndrome. Um, could be things like uh, hypothyroidism uh, that's seen in cows that haven't been supplemented with appropriate levels of, of minerals and vitamins. So iodide deficiency is, is something that we've seen before. Uh, where those calves just can't maintain uh, normal body temperatures. So that is that is kind of my strategies for doing that. Uh, if a calf does have uh, frostbite, so uh, terminal dry gangrene, uh, terminal necrosis of, of the tips of his, of his feet, of his legs, of the ears, there's not a lot that we can do in terms of bringing that 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 tissue back besides just making sure that that calf has been warmed up as as quick as possible and that we have checked those calves to to make sure that they they did not get hypothermic or frostbitten in the first place but if there is frostbite uh it's really just supportive care from there so it's not uncommon to lose some ears to lose some tails and those calves will usually be just fine uh, when we have that that frostbite of the feet um, that certainly can be a welfare concern and at times we're going to have to to address that and and potentially even euthanize uh, some of those calves there is going to be a time period where it's not so obvious if whether or not we need to euthanize and certainly sometimes we give those calves the benefit of the doubt so we're going to provide um, them with um, pain control so non-steroidal anti-inflammatory i think in some of those cases is appropriate uh, having having frostbite at the tips of your toes or tips of your fingers as a human certainly would not feel nice and i would want some pain control and at times um, depending on the severity um, a secondary infection can also occur so if calf looks like it's it's on the mend, but because of that uh, compromised tissue, it, it does get a secondary skin infection. Um, then we'll go ahead and, and put that calf on an antibiotic that is good against the, the, the bacteria that would be causing a skin infection, uh, like a, a, a staph or a strep. So, um, you know, just a, a broad spectrum like tetracycline would probably be the most appropriate in, in that case. Um, that That is something that we address. I do know the show jockeys. I don't. I don't like to practice show jockey medicine. So, so uh, the, the purebred crowd uh, ears are very important to them because they're selling a, an aesthetically pleasing product. I've had. I've heard from that crowd that they've they've used DMSO, um, which is a, a topical agent that that they put on the, the calf's legs and ears and tail after frostbite that could potentially increase uh, perfusion uh, back into the, those, those body parts. So I don't know if that works. There's absolutely no literature to support it. Uh, it sounds really nice. Sometimes it's, farmers just need to, to do something. It's, it's hard to just sit and wait and, and watch. Uh, and certainly at times there's guilt associated with that. So I, I get why people want to do different things. Uh, I've heard of, of other kind of home remedies, but like I said, there, there's no real good literature to support any, any of those. So that's kind of how I dress 
those cases, um, you know, those hypothermia cases. Uh, so if you guys have any questions or concerns or comments, uh, certainly reach out to me. Uh, stay warm out there, and uh, we'll see you next time.